Welcome everyone to the Carnegie Moscow Center podcast. My name is Alexander Gabuyev. I'm a senior fellow and a host. And today, in a pretty freezing day in Moscow, we're going to talk about a really hot topic, which is the European energy crunch and what's Gazprom and uh, the Kremlin are up to. I'm happy to join by two leading experts on the issue. Katia Fimova, who is Senior Research Fellow with the Oxford Energy Institute. Welcome, Katia. Hello. And uh, we are happy to have Sergei Kapitonov, who is a gas analyst at the Energy Center with the Skolkova Managing School. Welcome, Sergei. Thank you so much, Alexander. Let's, let's start with the kind of hottest, probably, topic. Uh, I opened the FT today and I see that the decision of the Germany energy regulator, the Bundesnetzwerkagentur, uh, to suspend the technical certification process for Nord Stream 2 has uh, made the prices for natural gas in UK and in some European hubs, again, climb by steep 15%. Uh, Katya, what's going on? Like you've written uh, one of the best explainers uh, on the approval process. Uh, so is, is that a technicality? Is it political? And how impactful uh, is the decision of the German regulator? Well, that's true. That's uh, big news uh, yesterday about the German regulator, uh, Benetza, suspending a certification process, that's regulatory certification uh, process, which was meant to confirm that the operator of Nord Stream 2 pipeline complies with uh, the European gas directive uh, requirements. So that was a big surprise for a lot of uh, people. And as you said, uh, prices are up very sharply. So clearly the market uh, is disappointed about it. And that really shows just uh, how important the perception of Nord Stream 2 coming uh, online uh, is. And, uh, you know, uh, and if you, if you look back at a few, you know, weeks and months, any kind of positive news uh, about Nord Stream 2 potentially going ahead always calmed the market. All the negative news, which spell more delays, they have uh, the opposite impact. They just uh, cause uh, prices up. Whether it's a uh, technical issue, procedural issue or political, I mean, the suspension of the process, I think it's a little bit of, of both. That's my kind of uh, very the first day uh, assessment uh, of that. So what the regulator really uh, said, it's um, under law, it had four months to consider uh, the application. And um, uh, that four months was supposed to be counted from the 8th of September. So sort of early January was supposed to be draft uh, certification decision. And the commission would have a uh, two and potentially another two or four months altogether for opinion. And then Benetza would have two more months to issue final certification decision, just to give you a timeline that was expected. So Benetza actually sort of uh, broke that uh, timeline. It, it put a suspense on this. It has already used about what two and a half months uh, considering uh, that uh, the process. And now what it has uh, required effectively uh, Nord Stream uh, 2 to do, it basically uh, said that in order to be certified, uh, an operator would have to be a company registered under German uh, laws. So it has to be, uh, uh, and at, at present, uh, Nord Stream 2 is registered under Swiss 
uh, laws. And once that pro- process is completed, once Nord Stream 2 sets up this German uh, subsidiary, etc., then that the suspension will be, uh, will be lifted and Benetsu will uh, resume uh, the process and it will, um, it's allowed to use the remainder of the, t- of this uh, four months uh, period. So it's about nearly two months. So in my view, um, well, from what I understand, it takes about a couple of months to establish this new subsidiary. So you could expect potentially the process to slip um, by a couple of uh, months. And all in all, we would look into uh, final certification decision sort of around summer. And if you believe that no Nord Stream 2 flows will be allowed by Nord Stream 2 while this process is ongoing, that really spells, uh, you know, there is no extra gas, at least via Nord Stream 2, no extra Russian gas via Nord Stream 2 into Europe, which spells sort of the winter, the whole winter of high prices. So it's no really surprise my market uh, reacted the way it did. So on uh, on on one way, it's on one uh, front, it's a technicality because Benetsa clearly um, interprets the law in such a way that it's got to be a German subsidiary. And, uh, you know, uh, on the other hand, if that's the case, you know, is, is a good question why Benetsa accepted Nord Stream 2 certification request in September. It said all the documents were received. If it knew that the subsidiary will have to be German-based rather than Swiss-based. And, uh, you know, it, it kind of looks as if, uh, you know, Benetza has started this process, but it also sort of allowed itself an inbuilt option to suspend this process any time at its um, convenience, effectively. And whether the timing when it decided to suspend it, whether it's coincidental, whether it's partly political, that is really a, a, a big open question. But ultimately, what, what it means for us people looking at gas markets, what it means for gas, that sort of means more uncertainty about how tight, just how tight the gas uh, balance is going to be uh, in Europe. Just to clarify, Katya, without the certification process completed and then the approval of the European Commission and probably the court cases that might be brought up by NAFTA gas, uh, no flows on Nord Stream 2 will happen? Or is there a way to uh, ensure that the gas is flowing while the regulatory process is still ongoing? Well, normally our certification is considered complete and effective once all the stages have been passed, such as Benetz's draft, Commission's opinion, and Benetz's final decision. Commission only has a, a consultative uh, role, really. It, it can't really tell Benetz in that case what to do. And, and normally no flows would, would, uh, would go via pipeline as long as it's not uh, certified fully. Uh, and if uh, flows just start going via the pipeline, Benetza has a right to impose fines in that case. That's, as I understand it, administrative uh, offence and German law. And in my view, you know, if you imagine a scenario when it's a particularly cold winter, an unusually cold winter, if the storages are running uh, low and, and they are low, they've been filled up at, at a low state, at, at a low phase, then you can envisage a scenario when at a certain point uh, the energy balance, the gas balance is going to look so precarious uh, in Europe that the regulator on balance of weighing different uh, risks 
may allow flows via the pipeline because the important point to stress here that actually from a technical point of view, the pipeline is absolutely fine. It has been certified from a technical point of view, from the point of view of our pipeline integrity. So put it simply, if you start flowing the gas via the pipeline, it's not going to be any kind of technical uh, disaster. You know, it can flow gas safely towards Europe. And there you have this brand new kit with two pipelines sort of ready to start flowing gas. And if you see the situation in Europe very, very precarious later in, in winter, you may think that it's possible to give such a permission. But that's, again, that's a lot of ifs and, and, and buts, etc. So, Sergey, let me turn to you to just briefly explain the logic of Gazprom. If I remember correctly, in October, Vladimir Putin said, no, 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 Russia doesn't use energy as a weapon. We're not trying to put pressure on the Europeans to get Nord Stream 2 approval. But by the way, if Nord Stream 2 is approved uh, today, the gas will flow tomorrow. If it is approved yesterday, we are ready to pump gas today. So it shows that there is additional volume uh, of gas that Gazprom is ready to pump. Uh, Gazprom has justified its meeting contractual obligation, but not shipping extra volumes by the need to fill storages at home, which sounds like legitimate reason to delay the additional shipments. But now we started to see like some small inflow of additional gas like uh, a week back around November 8, November 9. So is it a strategy? Uh, is it coincidence of various factors? What is Gazprom trying to achieve? Well, that's how I call it. Gazprom is uh, pursuing a kind of a risky game uh, this year, but this uh, risky game hasn't been specifically designed by Gazprom. Uh, I see that Gazprom was a lucky person out of the um, combination of factors that uh, led to these skyrocketing uh, gas prices in Europe. And amid uh, these, uh, this market situation, Gazprom has simply decided not to provide uh, more more gas um, to Europe um, beyond their contractual obligations and their meetings them. And they have already mentioned And the situation is uh, different, for example, to the situation in 2014 and 15 when Gazprom uh, was um, how trying to to fight the Ukrainian reverse flows and was not meeting contractual obligations this year from the uh, legal perspective Gazprom is absolutely uh, secured uh, uh, on the other hand uh, Gazprom can possibly play uh, a role of a good cop uh, providing uh, more more uh, volumes to Europe but they definitely can't do it uh, on the spot they can do it um, the other day after the decision is taken uh, because they probably do have enough resources, uh, not only on the Yamal Peninsula, when they have um, they, when the Bavanenko gas field uh, has reached its plateau level uh, this year, but they, on the Bavanenko they can also extract more by uh, 15 BCM, more than 115 BCM uh, from the deeper layers, and they are now moving north uh, from Bavanenko to the Kruzens, uh, to the Harasave and uh, then to the Kruzenstern gas fields. On the other hand, uh, their legacy gas fields in Nadim Portas uh, mm, reducing uh, their their mm, production volumes uh, from 
Mr. Miller, from what Mr. Miller has said, Gazprom has some 100 BCM of extra capacity, uh, but th- that doesn't necessarily mean that this uh, capacity can be used uh, tomorrow uh, when, when, when they see uh, that the demand is uh, growing in Europe. Um, what I see that Gazprom uh, does need... Um, some predictable and long-term relations with the uh, European consumers. Uh, for example, when the first Nord Stream uh, project was implemented, Gazprom assigned uh, new contracts for some 20 BCM of new Russian gas uh, to Western Europe. Uh, these days, with the Nord Stream 2 saga, they um, haven't signed any new contracts. Uh, they probably do need some long-term guarantees for um, that their investment, uh, that their time they spent uh, to um, utilize uh, these idle production capacities and this idle infrastructure uh, has been spent properly and uh, that they can repay the investment uh, into into this um, new uh, capacity. So uh, in, in my view, if, if, if there is a need uh, from Europe for new long-term contracts, uh, we can see more Russian gas in Europe. Uh, but this is a long-term game uh, from the tactics of, of this year. I, I don't think that that Gazprom will somehow change its behavior. We see a minor, minor increase in Gazprom's flows to Europe, primarily to inject into the uh, storage in Germany and in Austria. But uh, this um, uh, minor increase is not uh, the thing that can uh, somehow completely change the, the, the whole picture and the prices are at the historically uh, high levels at the moment. So... Um, I don't think that uh, Gazprom is going to somehow ease uh, the tension on the market uh, up, um, just from their goodwill. But wouldn't the additional volumes bring additional cash into Gazprom coffers? It's If it's time to earn money on the European gas market, it's probably now. Or the share of the spot in the formula is just too low and there's probably technical lack of couple of... Uh, months so the current spike uh, in the prices will be reflected in the money that Gazprom is actually getting from the customers uh, sometime later and that's why Gazprom is not willing to pump more gas now what's what's the logic here because i think that that's the argument i hear a lot saying hey if Gazprom is a commercial um, animal uh, it should be earning money like crazy when there is so much demand and that the prices are so high why is Gazprom not doing that? I do agree with you that this is a high time to earn money in Europe. On the other hand, um, they, I, I do think that Gazprom uh, can sacrifice a kind of upside in their revenues this year uh, to to let's say more more stable future for the years to come because the whole gas game is a long game and uh, the all these pipelines the Turk Stream and the Nord Stream two pipelines are designed for decades and uh, the uh, repayment of investments is planned also it's uh, no less than seven years or eight years uh, so probably um, Gazprom is not specifically uh, pursuing uh, this uh, strategy of pressure it uh, Gazprom was a lucky one to <laughs> to be in, in such a situation but I, I don't think that the company uh, is somehow interested now to um, let's say uh, to 
decrease decrease this uh, degree de de degree of uh, pressure on the market, not in the pricing terms, uh, but also in terms of uh, the of the thirst uh, for new guests, for new guests, and these new guests, uh, especially by the long-term contracts, maybe Russia's guests. And what we have, what, what we have seen uh, from this, uh, what we have. Uh, learned uh, from this uh, gas crisis that fully depending, fully relying on the on the spot market is a is not a good strategy. The LNG hasn't come uh, to Europe uh, amid uh, amid these skyrocketing prices. LNG flows uh, mostly to Asia uh, these days. And what does it mean that uh, in, despite the uh, huge capacity of regasification terminals in Europe, uh, Europe can't rely on the spot market. Europe uh, does need a new long-term relationship, be it Russia or be it the United States. And uh, in this game, uh, 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 as I already said, Gazprom may uh, be be uh, in, in advantage uh, making Europe to sign uh, something something new uh, uh, with Russia. Katya, do we know uh, how much spot price is reflected in Gazprom's European contract? Is it a public information, or it varies from country to country and from customer to customer? Well, the information that's been presented in uh, in various Gazprom's uh, reports in, in public uh, disclosure that uh, is a very significant uh, share of Gazprom's European contracts is hard prices, not just spot, but also, you know, prompt and prices fall for the period uh, for the period of, of, of months, for example. So it, it is also a luck. So there is a high share of hub uh, prices, which is why uh, Gazprom has also been making uh, good money uh, this year because uh, the, the prices, the, the, this hub prices, that they, they fit through into, into the contracts um, as well. And that, of course, compared to the previous year, which wasn't uh, a very good year for, for Gazprom, to put it mildly. So it's kind of compensating now in it. But I agree with Sergey that really uh, Gazprom has found uh, itself in in that situation where it's it's beneficial for it, and it's um, it's benefiting from its gas uh, sales. But it's you know it has not you know abused anything. It has not manipulated uh, anything. In my view, it just found itself in a good situation and it has enjoyed it. You know from financial. Uh, point uh, of view. But also in terms of adding extra gas, I think the crucial point here, at least it has been uh, so far, that actually if you look at Gazprom's production, um, it's been very high. And uh, the the reason, in my view, why until uh, recently we haven't seen additional flows into Europe uh, was just Gazprom was really pumping into domestic storages at high rate. And I understand this season has just been... Um, finished by by uh, 7th or uh, 8th of November so to me what what we saw is reduced outflows uh in, in late August and September that was actually due to uh the lack of available surplus gas to send into Europe to refill storages in in Gazprom storages in Europe because Gazprom had to do it first uh, at home so to speak in Russia it's like you know it's like airline principle you know fit your own mask and then and then help others really so it's kind of sensible pragmatic behavior and if that theory is correct um and i think it's it's sort of starting to be evident that it is because as you've mentioned uh, earlier on 
as of 8th, 9th of November, we, we see sort of, you know, increasing, slowly increasing um, flows into Europe to feed storages. So I would interpret it it's, uh, as the gas, which has now been freed up. So Gazprom no longer needs it for domestic storages, and that's finding its way into Europe. The question about infrastructure is really, you know, uh, is gas could come by existing routes, which is, uh, you know, Nord Stream 1, uh, Turk Stream, uh, Yamal Europe and, and Ukraine. But also, if at certain point there is a sufficient uh, amount of gas to flow also via Nord Stream 2, once, you know, if and when it is cleared, then, of course, that would pacify the market because it would be on a daily basis, but it also would create a perception within the market that, you know, there's now those new gas fields, they're connected by the new gas pipelines, and everyone feels a lot more relaxed that that gas will come in when and if, uh, you know, as needed uh, into winter. With this kind of suspense now, again, that's a big question mark. But we are probably not talking this winter uh, for the reasons we discussed with the with the Nord Stream two approval process. So the additional gas might flow through Ukraine beyond the forty BCM a year capacity that uh, is envisaged in the contract. Uh, I don't know how much spare capacity there is in Yamal pipeline, particularly given the threat of President Alexander Lukashenko of Belarus to cut uh, the transit. Uh, I think that one interesting question here is the uh, share of hub price reflected in the price formula. Uh, I remember that was a hot-button issue just a couple of years back with Polish uh, gas company pushing to have more hub price uh, reflected. And I think that uh, this time around, they wanted to go back to the price tied to the uh, oil product. Uh, is is that correct? So, do we do we have an understanding and the feeling in the market of uh, whether the market is okay to say, yeah, hub prices are nice when they're low, uh, but sometimes they are high because of this uh, circumstances that are created by various market conditions, like this year, and uh, we had to to bear with that because that's how this uh, pricing mechanism wa- uh, works or uh, is there a debate to go to kind of more oil uh, connected uh, pricing formula to have a more balanced solution well i think that uh, if you look at european gas market and y- y- you kind of track to balance of how much europeans are benefited from the period when they were Hat prices resulted in in lower, uh, actually were, were lower than prices than had they been connected to uh, oil for for many years. And if you compare it with this year, that on balance, the European um, market has benefited a lot from uh, hat based uh, prices. That's one point. So I, I don't think they they will likely sort of rush back to to ask for uh, a predominant oil uh, indexation. And also just sort of an economic, you know, point is you know hot prices they effectively uh, reflect supply and demand of gas as a commodity. So it's logical that the price of gas as a commodity is you know established by supply and demand for gas rather than supply and demand for for oil. 
And that, of course, that's a long argument. And that goes back, uh, you know, when, you know, oil and gas were sort of replaceable because oil was uh, a lot used for power generation in the past. It's no longer the case in, in most of European um, countries. But also uh, to note uh, about, you know, particularly Central and Eastern European uh, countries, which for, for a long time, you know, they, they had uh, contracts predominantly indexed uh, to oil and they you know, they were paying uh, more than they would be paying had it been heart-based and they uh, fought for years. But then, you know, you, you had this um, inquiry and Digicomp investigation into Gazprom, which concluded peacefully with commitments, you know, Gazprom made certain uh, commitments, etc. So now it's impossible for Gazprom to sell gas anywhere in the European Union, pretty much at a price which would be, you know, diverging from, 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 from whatever level it is on, on, on the hub. And, uh, you know, so that, that's, that's really uh, what it is now. It just so happened this season, and it's pretty much unprecedented, unprecedented that, you know, oil prices, oil indexation now would have been resulted in, in a lot uh, lower uh, prices. But having said that, of course, uh, countries, particularly countries with, with weaker uh, economies, they might want to have, you know, a certain degree, you know, of, of, of both. And, and we witnessed that with a Moldova uh, contract, which uh, understood to have 70% um, oil indexation, 30% gas indexation. And um, now what's upcoming is negotiation over the Serbian gas uh, contract and how that will go. And it's also supposed to be on, on a longer term basis. And you know, Moldova is for um, five years. Serbians talk about 10 years, I think. And then there will, be, there will also be news of negotiations between Gazprom and, and, and Germans on, 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 on a new, um, supply. But I mean, so another point actually to add here is would be energy uh, transition, green transition and for uh, European countries, uh, which, you know, now prioritize this green transition very much. The question is, um, you know, how willing they will be to conclude uh, long-term contracts. And again, what do you think long-term? Is it five years? Is it 10 years? Because in the in the old days, they were like 20-plus year contracts. And for countries uh, which, um, you know, put less priority on this green transition and high priority on physical security, like, uh, for example, uh, Turkey, that might, that might be more... Um, you know, uh, palatable to have a preferable, in fact, to have a longer term deal. And of course, the final point, you know, the current energy crunch, the kind of pushing people to, you know, revisit and, and revalue their priorities about physical security, price security, green transition, etc. And, and they put different values on, 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 on those things. And I think depending on how long the energy price is ongoing, how severe it's going to be next winter, Will potentially have very significant uh, implications for for gas in in European, um, particularly European balances, and it's not just about Gazprom. It's not just about Russian gas. It's for 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 gas in Europe and globally. That's a perfect summary for the potential impact of the energy crunch for the European gas market going forward. Sergey, finally, I'm turning over to you to ask, uh, what would be Gazprom's likely reaction to the transition that's visible because the uh, energy crunch is partially a result 
of the energy transition globally. And it's not only Europe, but it's, it's China. And many factors here are interrelated. So higher demand for gas born out of uh, post-COVID uh, recovery uh, and some weather elements and, uh, and others sending uh, the prices to the trajectory where they are. Uh, that's definitely having the uh, repercussions for the European market. But what would be Gazprom's response to this very serious uh, dynamics in the European uh, gas market in like 10 years time frame? Uh, what's the Gazprom options available? Is it more gas to China? Is it hydrogen? What are the options on the table. Well, uh, I will divide this question into two parts. First, what is Russia's take uh, on the whole future of natural gas? And uh, in, in my view, the answer is clear. It's LNG that is flexible, that can move uh, to every part of the world, primarily to Asia's markets. Um, and the LNG uh, that um, the uh, history of the last uh, couple of years shows can be green in accounting terms, of course, but uh, the carbon footprint of LNG can be compensated using different trading schemes. The carbon credits can be bought on the market terms and the consumers that are willing to pay more uh, to show that they are buying um, clean LNG with no in accounting terms, carbon, they, 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 they do it. And there are a lot of carbon and uh, free um, cargos traded at the moment on the markets. And three uh, cargos have already been, have already been uh, exported uh, from Russia's projects. So um, LNG and uh, in the future, uh, this so-called uh, carbon-free LNG uh, with uh, the um, Either it can be compensated or uh, real measures to uh, uh, to um, reduce the current footprint of LNG uh, can be used, and this LNG can be also uh, in demand uh, in Europe, uh, especially in the markets uh, like Spain uh, or or Portugal. Uh, what Gazprom will be doing can, um, is a bit more uh, complicated thing because Gazprom, of course, is uh, more conservative. Uh, Gazprom, um, for uh, uh, um, a couple of years ago, Gazprom has uh, Gazprom uh, demonstrated uh, in um, in their strategy that uh, the strategy will be based on. Um, uh, three of three new chains. This is first uh, natural gas, then uh, methane hydrogen mixtures, mixtures uh, for the next, let's say, five years. And in the future, after 2030, they can supply pure hydrogen to Europe. But uh, the problem here is uh, in the acceptance of this blue hydrogen or turquoise hydrogen, uh, which gets promised promoting the hydrogen, which is uh, which can be. Mm, produced using the methane pyrolysis technology uh, with no CO2 emissions, but with only with carbon black as a side product. This is a technology that Gazprom is now testing in a lab. But, uh, well, this is a lab technology and um, there are no um, commercial practice of using this technology. So far, Gazprom has uh, invited German partners uh, to further elaborate on this technology, but there are no uh, real pilot projects yet. And uh, the thing is, uh, on the exception of this hydrogen in Europe because the, uh, the current European discussion is based on the green hydrogen on their own uh, domestic renewable capacities that, that can produce this green hydrogen, let's say, in 20 years perspective. But uh, 
Well, what I see now uh, is that both Europe and Gazprom uh, can be in the same boat because, well, uh, this uh, energy, this gas crisis uh, has shown a lot, uh, has taught us a lot of uh, lessons uh, from from the necessity of long-term predictable relations to inability of uh, renewables to... um, safe uh, Europe in times of the energy crunches. And it, it, it all means that the period, this, this transition period, may be a bit longer than it uh, was uh, previously expected and uh, that uh, gas and gas also from Russia can be in demand in Europe uh, for, for, for um, a, bit, a, a bit longer than uh, it was expected. Because before, uh, most analysts uh, said that after 2030, uh, the reduction of Russia's gas flows to Europe will be dramatic. Uh, this is now not that vivid. This is really fascinating. Uh, as I sit in here in Moscow uh, in mid-November, uh, I'm happy that Gazprom has put the mask on its face first. Uh, probably, I, I know that it doesn't make life in Europe easier, uh, but uh, I hope that this uh, crunch will be resumed uh, sooner rather than later. And uh, the dynamics and the changes that it brings to the market uh, are extraordinary with a lot of implications for both the gas industry, the energy market and Russian politics. So we definitely should reconvene once the madness is over sometime next year. I thank you very much, Katya and Sergey, and looking forward to host you again and to read your stuff. Thanks. Thank you so much. Bye, pleasure. 